0: Taking up the sword of Christian theology and the shield of classic apologetics. This is the Bellatour Christie Podcast brought to you by bellatorchristi.com. Now join your hosts, Brian Chilton and Curtis Evolo, as we step into the arena of ideas. Coming to you from Pilot Mountain, North Carolina, and Ronan, Montana. This is Brian Chilton and Curtis Evelo, and you're listening to the Bellator Christie Podcast. Our scripture for today comes to us from Mark chapter 16, verses 5 and following. When the women entered the tomb, they saw a young man dressed in a white robe sitting on the right side. They were alarmed. He said, "Don't be afraid, don't be alarmed. You are looking for Jesus of Nazareth, who was crucified. He is risen. He is not here." The place where they laid him now, This is the word of the Lord Thanks be to God And Curtis As we continue our theme songs From the 80s, 70s, and 90s 70s, 80s, and 90s uh, Which one is this one? <laughs> well
1: I'm, I'm sitting here I'm sitting here racking my brain Because I'm like Okay, so that's either Magnum P.I. Or that's Dallas <laughs> Or uh, or not Dallas What's the other one? Um, oh, crud so I, I was sitting there, I, I I got it in my head. I, I could sing right along with it. I can hum the I can hum the tune, I just can't pick it out.
0: Well you had, your second guess was actually right. It is Dallas.
1: Okay, Dallas, yeah. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. I can see it, I can see it right now as as we're doing that, yeah, just yeah. <laughs> what a hoot. <laughs> yep. Yeah. Old J.R. and Sue Ellen, huh?
0: That's right.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. We used to sit up and watch that with Mom and and Dad, and man, it was...
0: (laughs) I remember Uh, that, too, just up the road. I remember we used to go to my grandparents' house, and uh, they used to always love watching Dallas.
1: (laughs) Yeah. I don't know. Something about watching... Watching life, uh, life struggles of the of the rich, I guess, huh? <laughs> yeah, I guess so. <laughs> well, you put it like uh, that. then
0: You do have a good point. <laughs> yeah. Uh,
1: yeah. Yeah. Yep. No matter where you're at in your economic value, I guess you you have struggles. So. <laughs> uh, it's yeah. Uh, a long, long conversation a long time ago with a friend of mine. He's like, uh, he's, he makes, um, uh, he's, he's very, uh, uh, very well to do and, and, uh, has been, um, in the fame and fortune for a while. And, and, uh, it, it's always kind of been one of those jokes when, when him and I, um, have kind of a conversation and he says, yeah, it's just a, it's just, just another level of broke, man. <laughs> it's just all it is.
0: Well, you know, they say, um more money more problems i, I heard uh, many yeah. people say well i'd love to have just enough to find out what that's like <laughs> yeah oh,
1: there you go. yeah wouldn't that be true <laughs> yep mm. yeah man what could what could we do with that i suppose <laughs> <laughs> well curtis is amazing yeah, so. to think
0: about that we just uh, celebrated easter uh, I did know. you guys have a great easter your way
1: oh man yeah it was great we uh geez you know we had uh well on friday we had a um passover seder um we got to enjoy that um with a fairly large group of of people that um that are from the valley around the area and stuff and we had our uh former pastor pastor lynn and holly um do the passover seder and um you know, I just, I love, I love doing that. I love being part of that. Just seeing the elements, seeing everything part of the, of the Seder. Because Seder, really, it means order. That's what it means. It means a meal, meal in order, meal Seder. So it's, um, it as it's being done in order, you see the, the pictures and the types and shadows. And that's why I fall in love with that type of, um, I guess you could say, uh, Understanding, because there's so much uh, that's tied in the Passover meal to what Jesus did came to do, what he what he finished on the cross, everything it's just it blows your mind blows your mind.
0: Encourage. Before we get started, I want to say uh, I appreciate all the people who have been uh, dropping questions by uh, Bellator Christie, yeah. and I want to encourage uh, more more people to do the same. I also want to encourage you. If I mean, we listen. Not not complaining. We were talking about this before the podcast. Uh, we we are we love to get uh, questions from anonymous individuals, uh, but if you feel inclined to do so, feel free to leave your name on the questions, and that way we can kind of correspond back with you and, and with any follow up questions that you may have. And so, uh, but we do want you to take advantage of uh, this a bit of question, of Bellator Christie. We've got a wonderful team of uh, of, of scholars. And, uh, you know we can we can submit these questions to our team and you know many of them pick up these questions in fact uh, we have some uh, articles coming hoping to be released later on this week uh, from some of these uh, so for, for some answers to some of these yeah. questions uh, that have been submitted so keep those questions coming we this excites us and we we love to engage with you
1: mm-hmm yeah and there's some that we will uh in due time there will be some that we'll we'll engage with um right here on air um and do it live without much study and just do it yeah. straight off the cuff and and be able to give you an answer a pastoral answer um and help and help along the way so yeah we uh we certainly uh certainly appreciate it and certainly enjoy the conversations and the interaction so but uh today brian we're uh we're getting into part three of our messianic prophecies um, in the passion. Um, today, we're going to be covering the resurrection and the ascension, and it's kind of funny that we're covering this just after Passover and just after Easter, and and uh, how all of those events tie into it, tie into it. And just think, right now, Jesus was on the face of the earth. After his resurrection, engaging and interacting with people that Paul soon wrote about and said, you you know, you go ask these people that you appeared to more than 500 people. He appeared to James and and appeared to all these people that that were live at that time. And I know you've talked about the creeds and we've and we've actually dug through a lot of the historical stuff that's written in the gospels and, and in Acts and and so on and so forth. And with that, with how the church was formed, isn't it amazing that Jesus, even though the church is, the church was being formed right now at this time, you know, if you figure Right after the resurrection, Jesus being on earth, given basically a tangible apologetic to his resurrection.
0: Absolutely. And it's important for everyone to remember that. Uh, so so let, let, let me just back this up. Let me just preface this by saying, we, something we've been doing for years is to, uh, we, we have a cross in the back of our yard, and we keep cloths on it uh, for the liturgical year. And it's just a wonderful reminder of of what season we're celebrating in the church calendar. And um, one th- when I first started doing this, it amazed me, how long the white cloth was left up on the cross after Easter? Uh, because Easter is not just a one-day experience; it actually, okay. the Easter season lasts for forty days. And a lot of people don't realize that Jesus was on the earth after his resurrection for 40 days. For a long time. A long time. That's almost a month and a half that he was on the earth uh, ministering to his disciples. This past Sunday, and we're going to get into a little bit of this in in this podcast, I I took some time and went through the book of Isaiah uh, with the congregation where I've been uh, speaking at. And um, it was just amazing because it made me stop and think about... What Jesus did with the disciples during that time, because he's training them, teaching them theology. He's also training them and teaching them how he is the fulfillment of these messianic prophecies, many of which (laughs) that they never even considered, just as we're going to be doing uh, not only these past few weeks, but as we're going to be doing tonight and next week as we wrap up this series.
1: Right. Yeah. It's kind of like when he met the two on the road to Emmaus.
0: Yeah, absolutely.
1: You know, he said it says in there that that Jesus started from Moses all the way through, explaining to them who he was Absolutely. in those scriptures. Now, I would love to see the replay of that. Oh, Once same year. Once we get to heaven, I want to see the replay of that one. Same year. Because I want to, I want to see their minds just be like. What in the world is happening here? <laughs> <laughs> it, it's funny how they state. I, I just I get I get a giggle out of it every time. Every time. Every time I read that when they're when they come along and and he, and and uh, Jesus comes alongside him and says, "What are you guys talking about?" And they're like, "What? Are you the only one in Jerusalem <laughs> that doesn't know what happened?" <laughs> in fact, he's the only one. That's in Jerusalem. That knows everything. That happened. absolutely, and it's just it cracks me up. How, um, yeah, they're just yeah, just the way they ask that question and how they how they interact with that, and Jesus then blows their mind by telling them everything of who He is. <laughs> just awesome.
0: Well, speaking of prophecies, we, we've got a quite a few uh, to cover tonight oh, as we're talking about the resurrection.
1: Right. So we're gonna dig right into the first one, and it's in its. Uh, uh, what does Psalm 16 verses nine through ten tell us about the resurrection?
0: Okay, so Psalm 16 is a, is a psalm written by David, and it's interesting how th- that uh, many of these messianic prophecies come from psalms written by David, King David himself. Mm-hmm. And um, the first few verses, he's talking about. Uh, he's asking God to protect him, for he takes refuge in him. Um, he says that you are my Lord. I have nothing good uh, besides you. And uh, he talks about the people in the land, about the boundary law, the lines have fallen from me in pleasant places. Uh, talk about his inheritance, how the, the, he talks about the uh, counsel of the Lord. And then he goes on and says in verse nine, uh, therefore, my heart is glad and my whole being rejoices. My body also rests securely. So what is the purpose behind this, this comfort, this assurance that he has? Well, he goes on to say, for you will not abandon me to Sheol, that is, the grave, uh, or even the the, um, the shadowy existence, uh, N.T. Wright believes that in the Old Testament that they had a bipartite uh, understanding or a compartmentalization of Sheol that that there was a that there was a heavenly version of Sheol and there was a um, kind of a hellish version of Sheol and and the paradise would be for the individuals who were uh, of God. But he says, you will not abandon me to Sheol, you will not abandon me to the grave. You will not allow your faithful one, or more clearly put, your holy one to see decay. You reveal the path of life to me and in your presence is abundant joy at your right hand are eternal pleasures so so this translation says your faithful one uh, many other translations will say your holy one well who is that holy one he's talking about this anointed one the servant of the lord who would come and notice he says this servant of the lord this holy one this faithful one would not see decay in the grave but there would be a uh, continuation mm-hmm. of his life. Now the question is as yep. many ancient Jewish scholars would ask, uh, what constituted this decade. Now, now again now, now when we look at um, many commentators, uh, they come after the time of Jesus, but a lot of them remember are following older traditions that date to around the time of Jesus or even before. Uh, this just written down, the Talmud is the is the written down as- uh, portion of uh, in other words, let me say this: it's the oral traditions of the of the people written down, um, and. I th- We've talked about this before, and, and obviously there's a lot of studies that still need to be discussed about oral tradition and, and how oral traditions can be passed along from generations to generations. But anyhow, that being said, many commentators, early commentators, really didn't know what to do with some of these passages that we're going to talk about. And so when, we t- when he talks here about not allowing the faithful one to see decay, uh, he's talking about he's not going to leave him in the grave. So this is an allusion to uh, the Messiah the anointed one uh, who was to who was to come
1: mm-hmm. yeah and and we had just actually talked about this um, uh, just uh, just recently Eric and I did and and uh, he actually taught on it also but pointed out that uh, that uh, the scholars of that time period um, and the believers of that time period, Jewish believers of that time period, basically um, believed that the body started to rot or started to decay after four days. So, so you think about well, Lazarus. I,
0: actu- actually, actually the, the, let, let me just back up. The, the belief system was um, that they believed that the soul would kind of hover around the body for for three days. And uh, there might be a possibility of, of a resuscitation of some sort uh, as long as it was around three days. But now on the fourth day, if, if the soul departed after the, th- after the third day, well, in other words, hold on a second, let me back up. I'm getting ahead of myself. <laughs> if the body did not come to life within three days, they believe that the soul departed on the fourth day so that it would be impossible for there to be a resuscitation of back to life. On the, on the fourth day and thereafter. So, to, to your point, uh, Jesus waited to the fourth day to show that, in their opinion, mm-hmm. in the Jewish mindset, yeah. they thought that at that point in time, it was impossible mm-hmm. for impossible. A, a resurrection to take place. Yet Jesus yeah. calls forth, speaking life, into Lazarus yeah. when he was beyond the scope of what Be- they believed possibility.
1: Beyond, yeah, yeah. So good, man.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Jesus, and I think you said you said it, and uh, I think you may even said a pastor talked about it. How Jesus said everything Jesus said and did was intentional. And the more I thought about that, the more I think that that's absolutely true. There was an intentionality yeah. behind what Jesus said and did, everything. far far more than what we ever realized.
1: Everything. Yeah. 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 So good. So good. So. Let's go. move on to two. Um, how does Psalm 22 address the conf- the confident hope of messianic resurrection?
0: So in Psalm 22, here here again is another Psalm of David. And he says, for the choir director, according to uh, what's titled the deer of the dawn. Now, we mentioned last week that Jesus says, Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani. Which is to say, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And this is the opening line of Psalm 22. So not only is Jesus expressing the, the feelings of forsakenness at that moment, but he's also going back and quoting the first line of Psalm 22, which in Jewish tradition would have been to re- reference the entire, the entirety of the passage of Scripture, the entirety of the Psalm. And so. Right. The opening part talks about that God is holy and throned. He's praising God. The ancestors are praising God. But then we go down to verses 12 through 21. We read this last week, but let me read it again to, to really focus on this. Verses 12 through 21 is going to talk about the the imminency, the imminent death that he's about to experience. So he writes: Many bulls surround me, strong ones of Bashan encircle me. They opened, now Bashan was a place, at least in Amos's day, known of great wealth, and many people used their wealth to oppress people uh, in ungodly ways. Now, it could be that the same thing is going on in David's day, uh, but he says, they opened their mouths against me, lions, mauling, and roaring. I am poured out like water. His life is poured out. All of his bones are disjointed. This is a clear depiction of death. That he's experiencing, my heart is like wax melting within me. It's it's a it's a almost like a, a depiction of someone like in that Indiana Jones movie where the angels come out of the ark and they're melting. It's almost that <laughs> depiction there. I'm poured out like water. My heart is like wax. He says, my strength is dried up like baked clay. My tongue sticks to the roof of my mouth. You put me in the dust of death. Dogs, evildoers have have uh, surrounded me, um, and a gang of evildoers has closed in on me. They pierced my hands and my feet. Now, this was t- a time before the Persians ever invented crucifixion. This was written several centuries before the Persians ever invented that. Uh, so that is very unique. That he says they pierced my hands and my feet. Um, now some translations will say like a lion, uh, they'll add that. But uh, but there's this there's this notion of piercing of the hands and feet. I count yeah, all my bones. Boring through. Yeah, boring through yeah people, people look and stare at me so he's people are staring at him. Uh, they've pierced his hands and feet, they count all of his bones. look at verse 18. they divided my garments among themselves what happened with Jesus? They did that very thing. they cast lots for my clothing. what did they do for with Jesus? They fulfilled even that prophecy. Now so we, we go on down here through nineteen, but you Lord, don't be far away, my strength come quickly to help me. Rescue my life from the sword, my only life from the power of these dogs. Save me from the lion's mouth, from the horns of wild oxen. This is this is a depiction of someone who who is being surrounded by a company by a gang of evil people they're threatening him with with violence and evil and his life is slipping away from him but yet he has confident hope that the lord is going to come through so we see that depiction of death in verses 12 through 21 but look at the depiction of life after death in verses 23 through 31 you who fear the lord praise him all you descendants of jacob honor him All you descendants of Israel revere him, for he has not despised or abhorred. Now there's a change here in the mood of this psalm. Everything was, it was a lament. There were were woes being given in the first part. I mean, he Mm -hmm. felt his life slipping away. But now he's asking for praise to be given to, to God. Uh, For he has not despised or abhorred the torment of the oppressed. He did not hide his face from him, but listened when he cried out for help. I will give praise in the great assembly because of you. I will fulfill my vows before those who fear you. The humble will eat and be satisfied. Those who seek the Lord will praise him. May your hearts live forever. All the ends of the earth will remember and turn to the Lord. All the families of the nations will bow down before you. For kingship belongs to the Lord. He rules the nations all who prosper on earth will eat and bow down. All those who go down to the dust, to the grave, will kneel before him, even the one who cannot preserve his life. Their descendants will serve him. This is after he's died here. And the next generation will be told about the Lord. They will come and declare his righteousness to a people yet to be born. They will declare what he has done. So, while there's not a clear-cut de- depiction of of of, uh, or in other words, while it doesn't say necessarily resurrection in the text, if you follow the storyline, if you follow the the, the uh, psalm itself, you see that there's a change in the mood. There's something that's happened that allows him, despite the death that he's suffering, there's reason for hope. There's reason for praising the Lord. And he, he continues doing these things after he supposedly had died. And so there is a hint, at least, a shadow at least, uh, if not a typology, if not even a direct prophecy to the resurrection of, of Jesus himself. But there is a link here, at least, uh, no matter what strength value you give it, whether it's, uh, you know, I, I consider shadows being on the lower end, typologies being a, a grade above that, and direct prophecies being the strongest. No matter what grade you give that, I think there's something there. There's an illusion of some sort to the resurrection of Jesus.
1: Man, yeah, yeah. You think about it um, the way the way Jesus would have been teaching, being a rabbi. You know, uh, him him crying out on the cross that is a very direct point to hey everybody pay attention look around this is what's going on remember in this psalm what happened what, what's what's being said there's things that happen at the base of that cross that just blow your mind when you when you read psalm 22 there's people all around saying can't you save yourself you saved others can't you you you're going to you're going to keep praising god who's your god now you know and you think about that what was said early on in that psalm you know it's all all of it is just it blows your mind but yeah as you follow the rhythm like you said there's a point where it just it it transitions into glorifying worship and glorifying god saving him essentially
0: yeah and and at the very least i think you could hold as Jesus has been teaching all along that he would be risen from the dead. And we're going to look at other passages that are more direct to that point. Uh, I think this passage of Scripture, even as he's calling out Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani on the cross, he's not only noting the forsakenness that happens in in the opening portion of the psalm, but he's also implicitly looking at the anticipated hope that comes after his death. So even in the last moments before he gives up the Spirit, he is holding on to this faith that God was going to, through the Spirit, and obviously through his power as well, that there would be a resurrection that would happen on the third day. Now, why was it the third day? (laughs) I got an answer for that as we go through the podcast tonight.
1: I can't wait for that one. (laughs) So... What does Isaiah tell us about the servant of Yahweh?
0: This is absolutely amazing. In fact, I I preached, yes, we'll see, what's today, Wednesday? Last Sunday, I did the first, <laughs> I did something, <laughs> I'm, the days are getting away from me.
1: I did something
0: last Sunday that in my 20 plus years of ministry, I've never done before, and that's preached through an entire book of the Bible. I preached through the book of Isaiah. It was a 12-point message, and I want to give you the 12 points that we discussed this past Sunday. And uh, if you want to look it up, Fellowship Missionary Baptist Church is where you look it up. uh, You can probably find the link on my Facebook page uh, if you'd like to take a look at it.
1: Was that an all-day event? Did you take a Did you take a lunch break in the middle of it? <laughs> no,
0: nope, believe it or not, it, it lasted. Uh, I tried to get it within thirty minutes, but I got, did get it within forty. So it's a, it was a forty-minute message, and uh, I I go in more detail. But wow. I did have people say, "Wow, that was good." They said, Phew, "You need to do a series on this because <laughs> we couldn't keep up with everything." <laughs> so that may be in the future. That may be. Uh, that may be. Coming pretty soon, so um, be pretty good. The, the the message I preached was called the Messiah in Isaiah, and um, and so what you find all throughout the book of Isaiah is this depiction of this what he calls the servant of Yahweh, the servant of the Lord, and it goes all the way back. It, it really is, while it's primarily found in chapters forty-two through fifty-three. Um, in the servant psalms songs, I think the servant is found all throughout the book. In fact, if you go back oh, yeah. to chapter nine, verses two through three, and verses six through seven, you see the identity. I'm going to give you the points of my message here as we go along. You see the identity of the of Yahweh servant. Who is this servant? Well, he's called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father. Now, we, we've talked about this before. El Gabor is a, it's a symbol of strength, the Mighty God, as he talks about. But the one that really stands out is where he's called the Everlasting Father. Um, that is a unique title to be given giving to someone. And so so we see the identity. He's also introduced... And so uh, I'm just giving you the Cliff Notes version on the podcast. The introduction of Yahweh's servant is given in chapters in chapter 42, verses one through four. The mission of Yahweh's servant is given in chapter 49, verses one through six. This is where it talks about what he comes to do. And you'll note in these passages that the mission includes not just reaching the nation of Israel, but the mission is extended out to reach the Gentiles of the world. And it's amazing to me how many people miss that Jesus was preaching to the Samaritan woman. He reached out to the Samaritan woman. He reached out to the the, the Syrophoenician woman and, and preached in Tyre, Tyre and Sidon. Um, it says, a Philippi," which many rabbis warned Jews and rabbi, other rabbis alike not to go there because it was a red light district of the of the region. It was the like like the Las Vegas of the area, um, but yet it was there. Where Jesus said, uh, where, where Peter recognized Jesus as being the Christ, the Son of the Living God, and Jesus says uh, that on this on this rock I will build my church. He's he's giving a war cry to hell itself because it was believed that that was the gates of hell. So the mission of Yahweh's servant was to reach the world. The obedience of Yahweh's servant is found in fifty verses four through nine. In this passage of scripture, it talks about his obedience. Suffering ridicule. It's amazing when you really stop to consider it that God would send his emissary, his, his uh, regent, his, his divine ambassador to, to, to bring the kingdom to the world. And what would the world do? It would reject him. And it's in this passage of Scripture that we learn that his oppressors would even pull the hair out of his beard uh, because of their great rebellion against what he was doing, so uh, but we see he was obedient to the very end. We see the suffering of Yahweh's servant in chapters fifty-two, verse twelve, all the way through chapter fifty-three, verse nine. We're going to talk about this next one in more detail: the resurrection of Yahweh's servant, also in chapter fifty-three. The kingdom of Yahweh's servant is given in full view in, re- in uh, Isaiah fifty-four, verses one through ten. The invitation. uh, of Yahweh's servant is given in chapter 55 verses 1 through 13 is here where God says my thoughts are higher than your thoughts and my ways are greater than your ways and he also says seek the Lord while he may be found talking about the age of grace uh, chapter 56, verses 1 through 8, and chapter 60 of Isaiah also speaks more to the invitation of Yahweh's servant. The salvation brought by Yahweh's servant is found in chapter 59, verses 1 through 20. The anointing of Yahweh's servant. This is a very pa- important passage of Scripture. This is the passage of Scripture that Jesus read uh, in the synagogue in Nazareth, where he talks about the Spirit of the Lord is upon me. It also goes into the mission of the Messiah. This is Isaiah 61, verses 1 through 3. We see the victory of Yahweh's servant in chapter 62, verses 1 through 5. Also in chapters 63 through 64, how he was going to defeat the enemies of God, bring justice uh, to the oppressors, uh, or or, bring justice and and judge the oppressors and and those who are uh, uh, misusing and abusing people. Then we learn about the new creation of Yahweh's servant. In, in chapter Isaiah chapter 11 verses 1 through 9. this is where we find the passage of scripture mm-hmm. where we see the animal life in the new ke- creation, how even the wolf will lie down with a lamb and how the bear will graze like a, like an ox. and you even see a depiction, I don't know how I feel about this, but a young child reaching into a, a viper's den and being able to play with a viper and not being bitten or not being hurt. Uh, you also see a, another example of a young child playing with a cobra, and the cobra is no threat to the child. Uh, chapter 66, verses 17-23, through 23, we see uh, this is very reminiscent of the book of Revelation, chapter 21 and 22, where in 66, 17-23, talks about a new creation, a new heaven and a new earth being made, all because of the work of the servant of the Lord. And I don't know about you, if this is all that you had, to talk about the Messiah, and you had no other prophecies, no other books in the Old Testament, you would know all the core data that you needed to know about this future, upcoming Messiah.
1: Hmm. Yeah, it's, I mean, just powerful when you read, like, for example, Isaiah 1, 1 and 2. So says, show shall come forth a shoot from the stump of Jesse, and a branch from its roots shall bear fruit." And the spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him, the spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and might, the spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord.
0: It's powerful stuff to stop and consider that.
1: That
0: in yeah. this shoot, this branch, this which is which are all messianic titles, it is referring to the Messiah is referring mm-hmm. to the servant of the Lord. Yeah. And the servant of the Lord is identified in chapter 61, verses 1 through 3, as the anointed one, and the Messiah means the anointed one. So there's a direct relationship between this servant that's been mentioned all throughout the book of Isaiah and the anointed one of God, the Mashiach, uh, the Messiah of God.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's talking about what what line he comes through, too. You Absolutely. Know, what, what what line that that uh, yeah, oof,
0: Oofta. Yeah. <laughs> you got me saying so, that oofta
1: <laughs> Yeah. So yeah, I know, right? So how do so how does Isaiah fifty three portray the resurrection of the Messiah?
0: Okay, so this is you know when when this was this is kind of like those where, Where's Waldo books. You remember Where's Waldo books where you uh,
1: <laughs> oh yeah, well you got this big. You know, speaking of Where's Waldo. We say that all the time. When all of a sudden one of our one of our Herefords, which are red and white, right? They're they're a red and white cow, right? And the neighbors' cows all around are all black. <laughs> so you so there so said, "Well, I found her. I found Waldo. It's right there in the middle of that herd." It's it's quite funny when you when you figure it out. Yeah. You know.
0: So so so. Curtis, explain to our listeners what we're talking about when we talk about "Where's Waldo"? Because not everybody knows what we're talking about.
1: Oh, "Where's Waldo" was what was that? Early nineties, late eighties, early nineties. That there was, I think a, so. Um, yeah, and it was kind of like a game to find um, a, a guy. His name was Waldo, and he and he was wearing a red and white striped <laughs> shirt, and in various different. Um, locations like in italy or whatever you know they'd be there'd be all these different colors on there and you'd have to find the the, the cartoon character of waldo within all of these uh, other colors and uh, other uh you know vehicles and people and so on and so forth and then you go somewhere else and it would be the same thing you'd have to find them in different locations and it was always it was always quite in yeah, quite entertaining.
0: A clean-shaven guy with a uh, with a toboggan and a big old pair of glasses. <laughs> aye,
1: aye, aye. Yeah, Yeah. So, so
0: in Isaiah 53, but anyhow, going back to Where's Waldo, this is kind of like a Where's Waldo type of thing. Because once you find Waldo, it's hard not to see him in that picture afterward.
1: Right. And, yeah, exactly. And
0: yep. it's, it's the same thing with this passage of Scripture. Once you see it, it's hard not to see it. Um so, so let's go to Isaiah 53, and throughout the majority of this is talking about the suffering of Yahweh's servant, the suffering servant. And um, verses eight and nine, we won't pick up there. He says he was taken away because of oppression and judgment, and who considered his fate? He was cut off from the land of the living. Well, that gives you a sign that he's that he's uh, that he's going to die. He was struck because of my people's rebellion. Now, if that's not clear enough. Look at verse 9. It says, He was assigned a grave with the wicked, but he was with a rich man at his death. Well, that's game over right there. We see that he dies. Okay. Because he had done no violence, and he had not spoken deceitfully. Now look at verse 10. Yet the Lord was pleased to crush him severely. When you see him make a guilt offering, he... All right. So here let's just, let's just draw a line right there. At this point we see that he has a grave with the wicked. He, he's died, he's dead. Uh, the, the Lord crushed him. He made a, a him a guilt offering. Now read the next words, He will see his seed. He will prolong his days. Now how do you prolong the days of someone who's already dead? Think about that. How do you prolong the, the days of someone who's already dead? Early Jewish interpreters had a really difficult time with this passage of Scripture. Uh, and by his anguish, the Lord's pleasure will be accomplished. Now look at verse 11. We're given more insight here. After his anguish, he will see light and be satisfied. Now how again, how do you see light and be satisfied after you're already dead? By his knowledge, my righteous servant... By his knowledge. This is an action word. By his knowledge, my righteous servant will justify many. This happens after his death. He will carry their iniquities. And he goes on to say, Therefore, I will give him the many as a portion, and he will receive the mightiest spoil. Because Now, he receives all this stuff. Why? Because he willingly submitted to death. He's receiving these things as if he were alive, after he's already dead. And he was counted among the rebels, yet he bore the sin of many and interceded, actively interceding for the rebels, those who were enemies of God. Again, think through this logically. How do you prolong the days of someone who's already dead? How do you see this guy doing things after he's already been assigned a grave for the wicked? Again, early Jewish interpreters had a very difficult time trying to understand what that meant. Well, when Jesus came along on the third day and rose from the dead, then it made perfect sense as to what this passage of Scripture was referencing. It was actually the resurrection of Jesus that clarified Isaiah 53, because really this passage of Scripture was pointing toward a resurrection event, but many people didn't think that that was going to happen immediately after the servant's death.
1: Yeah, they believed that there was there's a final resurrection.
0: Oh sure, right? yeah.
1: But but they so they believed in that, but they didn't necessarily believe that it would happen uh during a lifespan.
0: Yeah, and if you see this passage of scripture though, especially that after his death he's made a guilt offering. Yet after his death he will see his seed. He will prolong his days. This is happening just immediately after the death. But as you said, and to your point, uh, yeah, there there is going to definitely be a final resurrection. And maybe they were looking at that being the answer for for many. But uh, <laughs> I'll be honest. Yeah. The language of this uh, chapter really speaks to a in in, uh, in uh, um an expedient uh, version of this taking place of of him immediately seeing prolonging having his days prolonged and, and offering this guilt offering for people coming after him so that that just really implies something different happening mm. after his yeah. death and being assigned a grave with the wicked
1: yeah it's definitely a definitely a different point being made yeah sure. absolutely so how does daniel connect with isaiah's servant and what does this connection show us about the Messiah and resurrection?
0: So we see Isaiah 53, verses 10 through 11, connecting over with Daniel 7, uh, verses 13 and 14. Now, here is we've talked about this before in in uh, this servant being like uh, one like a son of man in this in this instance. Uh, Daniel sees one like a son of man coming with the clouds of heaven, approaching the ancient of days. He was escorted before him. He was given dominion and glory in a kingdom, so that those of every people, nation, and language should serve him. Now. Going back to what we already mentioned about the servant of the Lord in Isaiah, this mission that we see of every dominion, every nation, every language serving him, directing that worship back to the Father and to the Son, uh, that really connects well with Daniel 7 because that mission that uh, that is spoken of in uh, Isaiah 49 verses 1 through 6 talks about this dominion talks about this invitation going out to the world not only just for Israel but for all the world, for Gentiles too. And so we notice here that he talks about his dominion as an everlasting dominion. We see that mentioned in the kingdom passages in Isaiah 54. Uh, he said his kingdom is one that will never be destroyed. Now, adding to that, we also take a look over in Daniel chapter 12, verses 2 and 3, that this resurrection event that takes place. Is going to impact, it's going to be a prototype or a first fruits event for the, the, the righteous individuals, the saints of God at the end time. Now, this kind of connects back to what we were talking about previously, Curtis, talking about that resurrection at the end. Look what he says Many who sleep in the dust of the earth will awake, some to eternal life, and some to disgrace and eternal contempt. Those who have insight will shine like the bright expanse of the heavens, and those who lead many to righteousness like the stars forever and ever. So, because of the resurrection event of the Son of Man and the servant of the Lord that we see in Isaiah, because of that, we see this final resurrection taking place in Daniel chapter 12, verses 2 through 3. The saints come uh back to life because of the resurrection and righteousness of the servant who is also the son of man uh, coming in the clouds of glory
1: hmm. yeah boy oh boy we're stacking it up now so um how does how does Jonah prophesy the resurrection
0: okay so Jonah um let's see here
1: So just okay, to, yeah. just to kind of maybe while we're looking there kind of give an overview of what um, some of these profits um, you'll you'll hear terms being used uh, the major profits profits and the minor profits that doesn't mean the the quality or the the kind of content it just means the length of uh, the the particular um book that is being wrote or being spoken of um in some cases um the minor prophets that you could say actually have a, a a deeper content than actually some of the major prophets. um so that's when you hear people talk about a major and minor prophet, it doesn't mean that they are uh, a lesser prophet than the than the others um it just means that uh the scope of what they covered or the amount of, of ink that's on their paper. (laughs)
0: <laughs> Absolutely. Very well said there, Curtis. And when we look to Jonah, he is himself a minor prophet. There again, as you mentioned, just referencing the size of the work that they wrote and not necessarily the, the, the size of content. Uh, and that's a, mm-hmm. that's a very important distinction to make. So we see the Lord, where the Lord comes to Jonah, the son of Amittai, and um, he asks Jonah, or he tells Jonah to get up and flee to Tarshish, and to go to Nineveh, a wicked, wicked city of Nineveh, and he is telling them to preach to Nineveh a message of repentance and tell them to turn to the Lord so that they would not be face judgment. And Jonah says, are you crazy? Those are wicked people. I ain't doing it. So, see, he goes and he gets in a boat and uh, the boat shipwrecks or there's a big major storm. And then we see in verse 17 of chapter 1, the Lord appointed a great fish to swallow Jonah. Now, we assume that that's a whale, but it just says a great fish to swallow Jonah. And Jonah was in the belly of the fish for three days and three nights. Jesus also makes a comparison to this. In Matthew 12, 40, uh, 16, 4 Luke 11, 29-30 And John 11, 6 And also John 11, 14 Jesus says, just as Jonah was in the belly of the fish For three days and three nights So shall the, so shall the Son of Man be in the belly of the earth For three days So um, he's making a comparison here Now we see over in chapter 2, verse 5 uh, So he spit up after this case And then he says The water engulfed me up to my neck The watery depths overcame me Seaweed was wrapped around my head And so we see that he eventually The fish vomits him up And I bel- he also In chapter 3 Verse uh, Well let's just read verses 1-3 through three, The word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time Get up, go to the great city of Nineveh And preach the message I tell you And after all this guess what happens Jonah got up and went to Nineveh <laughs>
1: According to the Lord's Okay, <laughs> I'm going.
0: <laughs> now notice here, and Now Nineveh was an extremely great city. It's a major city. Uh, but notice here, he says, a three-day walk. Okay, so Jonah set out on the first day of the walk in the city and proclaimed, in 40 days Nineveh will be demolished. And so after the third day, the people repented and turned to the Lord on the third day. So there's a lot of allusions here. To the number three again. The last question we're going to talk about is uh, talking about why the number three means so much uh, when we talk about the resurrection. And there's an answer that it blew my mind. I never knew this before. And we're going to finish the podcast with that, with that question. But anyhow, we see Jesus draws an illusion here. So Jonah acts as Israel's ambassador. Now catch the important point here. He acts as Israel's ambassador, speaking on behalf of God. God extends his grace and kindness to people previously deemed enemies of his, and they repent, they are forgiven, and they are say, spared from judgment. What did Jesus come to do? Now, he went willingly, not like Jonah did. He went willingly. And what did Jesus do? He was God's ambassador, God's regent, his shaliach, who came to the world to preach a message of repentance and salvation to those who redeemed enemies of God so that they could experience the grace of God and be redeemed and saved.
1: Yeah, the book of Jonah. just cracks me up because you know i've heard i've heard some commentary about you know that the city of nineveh would have been like you're going to uh you know for example um like a terrorist camp like you you would you would be going to preach the gospel to a (laughs) a terrorist camp or a terrorist city you know absolutely Um, (laughs) they just hated yeah it's and and just <laughs> when he gets vomited back out on the shore the reaction is like well, okay i guess that's the direction i'm going
0: <laughs> and you know by this time he would have definitely had acid on his on his skin his 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 figure was probably he his, his image was probably disfigured by this time uh, because Excuse me, because of being in the fish as he was, um, or the whale, whatever it was. Yeah. So he goes and yeah. he preaches this message of repentance. They repent. They turn to the Lord. And what I'm does he sure do? Sure they would. <laughs> yeah. Jonah pouts. Jonah yeah. pouts. And he's sitting there looking, wondering if God's going to bring judgment, and he doesn't. He's he's sitting by this uh, tree, and God sends is providing him shade. God sends a worm that eats the tree, or eats the leaves, the shade off the tree. And Jonah's just having a pity party because <laughs> because yeah. God extended grace to these people who were once enemies.
1: <laughs> you start seeing that that worm starting to eat that that caterpillar trying to eat the eat the leaves. you think you'd afflict that that caterpillar off. <laughs> I could see the decimation happening here. We're not going to let this go. <laughs> you could just see it happen. Oh my goodness, there's got to be some comedy in the thought of this absolutely. Maybe, <laughs> it, it, it is truly, truly, truly a fact, when we look at the scriptures, that our God does have a sense of humor.
0: Oh, most assuredly. Most assuredly.
1: And just the things that He's said or does, it's, it's like, wow, all right, <laughs> everything to prove a point. So so how does Hosea connect with Jonah as a basis for prophesying the resurrection? This is interesting.
0: Real quickly, as just a background, Hosea marries a woman named Gomer. She's a worldly woman. Gomer serves as an example of the people. Hosea serves as an example of God. Uh, God, when when, when Gomer goes around sleeping around on him, cheating on him, God instructs Hosea to go back and, and, uh, and, and take her back once she repents. That he is to take her back, and that would be an uh, an illustration, an example of God's willingness to take back a people who had committed adultery against him. Because, as I tell everybody, idolatry is adultery against God. Idolatry yep. is adultery against God. So, in chapter 6, uh, Hosea chapter 6 verses 1 through 2. Uh, This speaks of God striking down Israel for two days. But let, let me just read this. Come, let's return to the Lord, for he has torn us, and he will heal us. He has wounded us, and he will bind up our wounds. He will revive us after two days, and on the third day he will raise us up so that we can live in his presence Let's strive to know the Lord. His appearance is as sure as the dawn. He will come to us like the rain, like the spring showers that water the land. Lydia Novakovic, in her book Raised from the Dead, according to the Scripture on pages 127 and 128, argues that the rabbis understood Hosea to speak of a resurrection of God's representative Bringing the resurrection of God's people. In other words, God would send a representative who would go through the torment and suffering and would be resurrected on the third day that would also serve as a first fruits to bring about the resurrection of his people, as we see in Daniel chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. Uh, This is what is represented as first fruit theology. As the, that's, right. that's found throughout all the pages of the New Testament, especially when we talk about the resurrection as a firstfruits. When Paul talks about, for through the first man yeah. Adam, death came, but by the second man Christ, life came. Uh, that we're passed yeah. from being made in the image of the first man into uh, the, the life giving image of the representative of God. That is first fruit theology
1: 101. Right. Right. Yeah, and we actually talked about this just the other day. It's you know and the celebration, the the Jewish festival celebration of the festival of the first fruits is a type and a shadow of what was what was gonna happen um, with with Christ. It, it 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 blows you away when you start thinking about how these scriptures Hosea and Jonah all of them tie in together as far as for example the first fruits Jesus is our first fruit and you know we will follow and be just like him um, coming out of the grave and i think that, that that's such a wonderful picture of us to see now i heard somebody the other day on a on a podcast actually asked this question and I thought it was really good. It said, um, if if we're to have, in, in the resurrection, when we die, when we, we are resurrected with our resurrected bodies, we are to be perfect, we will be perfect um, as God would have had us or made us. But why was Jesus, why did Jesus still bear the scars of the past and not be perfected? I thought that was a really good question. The answer is, I mean, pretty pretty simple, you know, um, but still it's good that people ask those kind of things, I think. Absolutely. So, oh man, here we go. And this is the last one. And uh, how is the resurrection connected with the third day of creation?
0: (laughs) So the question is, why was Jesus raised on the third day? Why does Jonah talk about being spit up on the third day? Why was the the nation did the nation of Nineveh repent on the third day? Why was the the nation of Israel even in Hosea chapter 6 verses 1 and 2? Why was it revived on the third day? Okay. There is a connection that Paul makes with the third day of creation. In First Corinthians 15 verses 5 through 8. He he writes, this is an early creed. We all understand that this dates to within the first years of the of the Christian faith, probably even the first months. So this is ground zero, thirty-three year okay. AD. And so Paul is quoting something that comes from the earliest church. Now he's writing this in Greek. Okay. He says, Last of all, and he's, he's he's talking about... And he actually uses this word in the, in the creed that Jesus appeared to James. He appeared, appeared, athay, athay, coming from the word arao, arao. Last of all, as one born at the wrong time, he also appeared to me, off they, arao, Uh arao. Uh, and and uh, so he talks about this arao appearing, Okay, uh, this arau means to see, uh, to make evident, to, to, to give rise. Uh, let me uh, let me read the, the definition from the Launida uh, dictionary. It says that... Um, uh, or actually, this is a lexicon. Uh, that was not the one I was looking for. All right, let me go back here. Give me just a second. Um. That's the one I was looking for. Okay, here we go. Um, arao is um, it means to a vision. Let's see. Good gracious, boy, they make this hard to <laughs> look at that. Let's just say it looks. It's just is to make evident. Uh, uh, I was I was looking for something else, but we'll just go with that. It's to is to make evidence for for someone to see something that was previously disclosed is now made evident. Okay, so here's the interesting thing. Let's go all the way back to the book of Genesis, the book of Genesis, chapter one and verses nine through thirteen. Now look look what happens on the third day then god said let the water under the sky be gathered together in one place and let the dry land appear now in the greek greek septuagint the word used there is the word arao appear okay to make evident now look what happens on the third day. And so it was so God called the dry land earth and the gathering of the water he called seas and God saw that it was good and God said let the earth produce vegetation seed-bearing plants and fruit trees of the earth bearing fruit with seed in it according to their kind and so it was so. and it was so the earth produced vegetation seed-bearing plants according to their kinds and trees bearing fruit with seed in it according to their kinds. And God saw that it was good. Evening came, and then morning the third day. Now think about this. The third day had to happen, had to occur, before life would be possible on this earth. He had to draw back the waters, bring forth dry land. He had to plant the seeds. He had to allow the vegetation to produce oxygen. All of that came about before there was life on earth, before there was animal life on earth. Without the third day, the... um, the the 5th uh, day and 6th day couldn't happen it had to be the the 3rd day had to happen previously before the rest could take place because life was spoken into existence on earth at that moment in time and jesus on the 3rd day rose from the dead orao appeared to his disciples just as is mentioned in the greek translation of genesis chapter 1 of the 3rd day and when he did He speaks life to each and every person who will call upon his name. Whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. And it all comes about by that third day encounter with life itself. Life called back the waters of death and allowed the land to come forth, the land of the living, life to flow abundantly, and it all happened on the third day. And likewise, Jesus came from the grave on the third day. That's the reason why there's such an emphasis on the third day, because that's when life truly began.
1: It's, it's funny. It's, it's just the way, that, the way that I was taught is to pay attention to words, Pay attention to the words being spoken so when Paul's talking about this in 1st Corinthians 15 (coughs) Excuse me It says in there, accordance with the scriptures That's a that's a trigger word. That's a word that we should um, That should draw our attention What does that mean? What's he talking about? Where is it pointed out in the scriptures? It should be something that we should, um, we should be we should be ready to uh, look back at what what was going on because at the time Paul was was saying this and writing this down, what were the scriptures? They they were the Old Testament, absolutely. So it's something to point back to and say, according to the scriptures. All the way back, let's look back here, and you'll see the pictures, the types, and the shadows of what Jesus was fulfilling.
0: Well, and I think this also speaks to the, to the nature of God. God doesn't do anything by happenstance, and he's given us throughout the pages of his revelation, throughout the pages of Scripture, the, the way and mode in which he does things. Uh, the 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 fact I mean you know I've been studying the scriptures for for years for decades and I never paid attention until now the fact that the third day was the day when life. Came into existence on in the universe. That's the first day that it came into being. I mean, till this time you had, you know, the uh, what the 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 lights being separated from dark, or darkness being separated from light. Uh, you have um, you know, expanse between the waters. The sky gathered in one place. Chaos, and, and you know there's chaos. But then it's on the third day mm-hmm. that you really begin to see life emerge. It's the first time that you see life in creation itself. And that speaks volumes of that being the third day, and yet the resurrection is our eternal third day because he's speaking eternal life into existence. He did something new with the resurrection. Speaking forth that yeah. eternal day, the pos- you know the opening the floodgates yeah. uh, access to the Father, opening the possibility of not only uh, living eternally with God in heaven uh, when we're upon our death, but also coming back whenever He returns to have that resurrection. We, as as He tells yeah. us in John chapter eleven, for the child of God, there is never a moment that we cease to exist, there's never a moment that we can be separated from the presence and power of Almighty God, not because of our works, but because of what He has done for us, speaking that life into us, and speak in entering into that third eternal day.
1: Hmm. preach it. Wow.
0: And that's just one of those things that when I saw it, I know. when I first saw it, I was like, yep. I, I the light bulb went off, and then I was thinking to myself, "How did I not see this before?"
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah. I was just going to say, "Well, there you go, folks," and it just gives it gives proof that the 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 Lord reveals Scripture to us as we engage with it, and as we pass through it, He'll He'll, he'll reveal certain things at certain times to prove a point, or to make a point, or to grab our attention, or to to settle our hearts or to, to to inspire us to do certain things i mean there there is living and active and that's what that means mm-hmm. you know it's amazing when we dig dig through it but well folks uh, this is uh this has been a blast and we just we just uh we love putting this stuff together for you and, and digging through this stuff and trying to um reveal the inner workings of what uh, of, of of what the mind of God and what what was wrote down on the on the paper um, on the, on our pages of a, of our Bible. It's a, it's good to engage with. Well, we here at Bellator Christie want to thank you for spending time together with us, and we value that time. Our prayers that this podcast helps stretch your mind and is a place to strengthen your faith as we strive to create an atmosphere of discussion and a reliable source of information. Join us next time on Bellator Christie podcast, and until next time. Brian and I say, "Those are our friends."
0: You've been listening to the Bellator Christie podcast, brought to you by BellatorChristie.com.